So we're going to continue our little safety dance here with part two, and we're going to be talking about personal protective equipment. My name is Sylvia Kenmere, and this is another episode of Ace the Ace. So continuing our little journey here, we sort of talked about labels and SDSs. We talked about what pesticides are. Now we're going to come to the protective you know, portion of our, our lecture, and we're going to talk about PPE. And so personal protective equipment requirements are found on the label. Okay, so that's where you find what is required. And of course, we always expect you to not only read the label, but follow the label, and especially when it comes to personal protective equipment. Now, the label should be considered the minimum standard to be followed. Okay, uh, This means that if you choose to wear more safety equipment, you can't. Uh, not all the labels call for wearing eye protection. Not all the labels require you to wear even something like a respirator. And so you are able to wear more. So we, we always want to think of this as the minimum standard that I should have on, but I can always wear more if I feel I need to. Um, I think of respirators here. Uh, one of the things that a label will say is avoid breathing the spray mist. Now, one way we can do that is certainly wearing a respirator, okay? So that's really what they want to make sure that you understand. Now, some activities involving pesticide concentrates like the mixing and the loading, um, those are very, they can be high risk, right? Because we're dealing with the concentrate. When we read the SDS, we see all the things that can happen. It's with the concentrate. A lot of times the risk is um, reduced because we add water and so now we've diluted that product. And so sometimes when we mix that concentrate, it can actually call for more protective equipment during mixing. Uh, sometimes they want you to wear an apron. Sometimes they want you to wear face shield. So there can be more. So it really is important to at least sit down and read that label and make sure that we follow the right directions every time when it comes to mixing our products. Uh, now, company policies can also require more. That's, you know, obviously something that can happen. Uh, but again, the minimum standard is going to be what's on the label. The other thing is don't assume that just because it's an active ingredient that you're familiar with, like perhaps maybe you have a bifen product and then you get bifen in a different color, but it's still bifen. You really need to look at that label because a lot of times the inert ingredients or what's being you know used to carry the pesticide might, might be different and call for a completely different safety equipment. So again, reading that label is going to be um, helpful for you. Now, um, the next thing that I want to talk about is that you know EPA really sets up the standards for a lot of the you know the labels and and the safety equipment when it comes to uh, what we need to wear and they do have this uh, you know different categories that uh, they may especially for gloves we see the protective materials uh, in these categories now if you're using the book IPM for the urban professional this is on page 67 if you're not you can actually go to the EPA website and you can put in personal protective material and uh, categories. And it's a little bit of searching, but you will get the same little chart that has all of the different categories. Now they're letters. And so they range from letter A through H. And then there'll be specific categories. And so for the gloves, 
uh, for they have options that follow here. And so you see that they have like A through H, and then there's all these different materials your gloves can be made out of. So they can be made out of barrier laminate. They can be out of nitrile rubber, neoprene rubber, uh, natural rubber, and, and then Viton is another one. And the typical size is you know 14 mils or greater. And they have all of these different solvent categories. And A is most of the formulations we have, but you know there are other products. There are some specific products that require you to wear a Viton glove or a barrier laminate. So not just a glove, but a specific type of glove. And so be familiar with the fact that these are in categories. And one of the, you know, two materials you don't see here um, is cotton. Now, there are some products that, um, may require cotton, uh, but and that's going to be like the fumigants, right? Because they breathe. But when you're talking about most pesticides, we don't want to wear cotton gloves. We don't want to wear leather gloves. Uh, leather is one of those materials that is not suggested because you know it it, it is it, it's just. Uh, can get wet and it also does not protect. And so a lot of times, especially when we get to the footwear, we're going to say don't wear leather or cloth uh, footwear because again, we, we get absorption and you can have exposure. And so be familiar that there are categories, but the gloves are important because they protect our hands. Uh, dermal is the, is what the number one ex way that we get exposed to pesticides if we're going to have an exposure. And because we're using our hands to mix and load and handle, and then you know we have a sprayer and we're using our hands, um, our hands tend to be the number one area where we have exposure. And so having gloves is, is important. Again, cotton, leather, or canvas gloves should never be worn um, because they absorb or accumulate pesticides. And, and I say that with an asterisk because I know that my guys that are fumigators are going to say, well, we have to wear cotton gloves. But but we're trying to talk about the general pesticides. You should never wear those materials, and, and you should know that. Um, then when it comes to, uh, you know, treating over our head, again, we have to be uh, careful because you can have, you know, drift, and so we may need to wear, um, you know, head protection. Sometimes that can be important. And then remember that gloves that are waterproof may not necessarily be chemical resistant. And so you always want to read uh, the label and see what might be required. The next piece of equipment is going to be respirators. And you, if you didn't wear respirators before, you probably in the last year have learned a lot more about respiratory protection when it comes to these ratings on here. So um, the first thing is that there is an organization that... Um, you know, sort of uh, pr proves the, you know, the respiratory equipment that you have. It's called uh, NIOSH. So it's the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. Um, and so that's uh, what NIOSH is. And so uh, they approve, you look at your respirator the next time, you will see their logo um, on your respirator uh, filtering uh, elements, whether it's the actual filtering face piece or it's on your cartridges. And, you know, respirators, they have a varying degree of protection. And so the label, again, is going to tell you specifically uh, what kind of respirator. And there's respirators that just cover, you know, your nose and mouth. There's full face respirators, which are something that goes over your complete hair. And in fact, they have, you know, an eye, you know, built in eye protection as well. And then 
the other thing, it's important to uh, wear your respirators um, first if the label requires it. Number two, uh, sometimes it's the specific areas that you're treating. So it could be, you know, confined work areas like attics or crawl spaces or closets or some places that have poor ventilation. Um, those are areas that may require uh, you to wear a respirator. And then, you know, there are parts of a respirator. So if you have, uh, you know, an actual uh cartridge and filtering respirator, you know, they have a cartridge element, they have filtering elements. Uh, then there's also these filtering face pieces, which look like a dust mask, but they have writing on them because they're actually a respirator. And then when it comes to uh, the categories for the filtering elements, there are three specific categories. And so there's N, R, and P. So I know a lot of you guys were looking for N95 respirators. So what does N95 mean? So N, these filters are not resistant to oil. So it means they're okay for water-based and should only be worn when no oil is present. Okay, so an N95 and 95% is Put, is filtered out. Um, then there's R95s, which these can be somewhat resistant to oil, but they have a time frame on them. So they're only good for eight hours of continuous spray. And then you have the P filters or P95, and these are oil proof, okay, but water can permeate there. So you know, it's not only just wearing a respirator, but making sure the filtering elements are actually doing what you think you're going to do. Now, the service of a life respirator when it comes to the filters will depend on a lot of things, but there is a rule of thumb, okay? And generally, they say 40 hours of use is a good rule of thumb. Um, now, there's other states that might have very specific laws, and OSHA came in prior to this book being, you know, this book was written, and then OSHA came along and, and really kind of tightened those rules down. Um, so just, you know, be familiar with the rule of thumb, okay? That just will be helpful. But, um, you know, we have to take care of our respirators. It's really important to make sure we store them correctly and that, you know, we're not, we're wearing them correctly and that's it for respirators, okay? So that's something to be familiar with. Um, the last thing I will say about respirators is be familiar with what a HEPA is. So that's an H-E-P-A, high efficient, high efficient particulate air cartridges, okay, or filters rather. And so those, uh, if you, I've the only ones I've ever seen are the big pink uh, 3M ones. And those are, um, they're very high efficient. They have, um, they're able to filter out a lot more. And so if we're doing Hanta, you know, potentially Hanta virus area where we're dealing with um, deer mice, and we're dealing with their droppings and we're trying to protect ourselves, a HEPA filter will do that. If we're working in attics and there might be asbestos, a HEPA filter will help. So um, these high efficiency particulate air filters actually um, are something that we could use and you need to be familiar with those. Uh, the next thing we do is protect our eyes, okay, with eye protection. And so that can come in a few forms. We could have safety glasses, we could have goggles, we could have face shields. And they're going to protect our eyes. Again, the label will tell you what you need. If it says protective eyewear, then safety glasses, a face shield, or goggles are great. If the label says goggles, well, then you have to wear goggles, okay? So just, again, check the label for the guidance on what you need to wear when it comes to that. And again, it can be very specific. So just uh, the label is where we uh, look for that information. 
Uh, footwear is also mentioned and includes clothing on your, uh, you know, on, when it comes to safety, it'll be on the label. And when it comes to footwear, uh, especially if we're doing broadcast treatments outside where we're doing lawn treatments and we might be walking through those areas as we're treating, then boots and shoes made of leather or cloth should not be worn. So that means no sneakers. Okay. Cause again, it can, you know, products can get through and you know, your socks will get wet and now you have exposure. And uh, when it comes to your pant legs, never tuck them into your boots, okay? Because again, if you uh, spill pesticides, it, you're, you're again giving, you're exposing your feet. And so that's important. Um, so those are the tips on the footwear. When it comes to clothing, uh, you know, what they, again, at the very least, it would be long pants and shoes, socks worn. Um, when handling pesticides and long sleeves should be worn when um, when the product requires it. Or if you have a company policy, a lot of our companies will go above what the law requires or the label requires and, and, and you know, again, trying to protect you and making sure that your arms are covered. And then when you go to wash your clothing, um, a lot of times you have laundry service, I understand, but if you have to take your clothing home, you don't want to wash it with the regular laundry, okay? That's going to be important. And and then, you know, of course, you know, shower at the end of the day. We really want to make sure that if there was any drift, uh, we, we take it, we get all that stuff off of us because we don't want to contaminate anything at home. Now, if you are spraying and you want to, you know, preserve your uniform, you can use coveralls uh, or, you know, over your uh, your your regular um, uniform, and they're usually made out of a specific material to be chemical resistant. Again, read the personal protective section of the pesticide because there are some products that require it. And then the other thing too is they sometimes, uh, especially for the agriculture guys, uh, they actually don't allow them to wear a long sleeve shirt and pants and then a coverall on top because they're worried about heat exhaustion. So then they get to wear like a t-shirt and shorts under that. Uh, but I'm not telling you guys you're able to do that. I'm just telling you that some labels are very specific. So that's where you're going to find the information. And then the last piece of clothing is a possible apron. Uh, they may require during the mixing, again, extra protection, an apron. Uh, needs to be uh, something that you might have to use and they have to be chemical resistant. And so that might be something that you are required to uh, wear. Now, when it comes to the storing of pesticides, okay, one thing is we don't store our personal protective equipment with our pesticides, okay? That, that is a big rule. And so again, especially respirator cartridges, they can become contaminated, then we're putting them on our body. So that's, that's the reason why we don't do that. Now, our storage should be very, um, very specific and be marked, okay? And what I mean is signs, okay? We should, we should have signs on our storage. And so usually what, what it'll say is something like danger pesticide storage area, or it might have something else. It has, you know, might have skull and crossbones also associated with that. And so that's something that you might see. Sometimes uh, fire departments will have an NFPA sign, which are those triangles. They're usually like red, yellow, white, and blue, and there might be numbers. Uh, sometimes uh, fire departments will um, come out and tell you to put these on your doors because you might have something that is hazardous. Uh, but those aren't required. That's just something that will depend on county to county. 
And then a few tips when it comes to pesticide storage. Again, your state's going to dictate what the rules are. Uh, you want to make sure that you have your pesticides stored with the original containers. If the labels are destroyed or damaged, uh, you know, then it should be disposed of properly, and that can be um, quite expensive, so try and protect those labels. You want to make sure that the shelving is, is sturdy. They like the, stir the shelving to be made out of metal and not wood because, you know, wood will absorb the pesticides. And then, of course, put your heavier containers on the bottom, your lighter ones on the top. Uh, don't store any other items in there. Uh, generally, pesticides are stored between the temperatures of 40 to 100 degrees. Uh, extreme high or extreme cold can sometimes damage the containers and the pesticides inside. Okay, so make sure that we uh, take care of that. And in your storage area or near it, we should not only have an SDS, you know, of all the products that are in there, because that's what tells you how to clean a spill um, and how to properly store it, uh, but also a spill cleanup kit. Because if anything happens and you need to, you have a leaky container, you should be able to contain that spill. And so that will be important. Uh, fumigants, uh, for the guys that are fumigators, you know that fumigants have like their own special storage with rules. And so that can be different. And then again, read those labels in case there's um, certain things that you want to, you know, for particular products that might have extra rules. That's important. Now, one way we do also store is in our vehicle. And so when it comes to transporting pesticides, there are very specific rules again. And so once we go into the car and we're driving pesticides, we're now under the Department of Transportation. Okay, so you kind of shift jurisdiction from um, the ag departments to DOT. And so a few rules with DOT. One, we never transport pesticides in the passenger compartment. So that AKA inside your cab, we don't have pesticides in there. No pesticides, no baits, uh, no aerosols, nothing. It all should be uh, in a different compartment, okay? Never allow pets or people to ride in those containers. Uh, never stack containers higher than the side of the open bed vehicle. Only transport containers that are, you know, intact and readable, you know, where you can read them. Uh, anchor containers, we don't want them like kind of flying all over the place inside your storage. We want to make sure that they're anchored. So put other containers in there to keep them upright and not um, sloshing around. Um, check the SDS to make sure that there's no extra stuff when it comes to transporting them that you might have to follow. You want to make sure that, you know, when we can uh, mix only what we're going to use, you really don't want to have, um, you know, a sprayer that's full of, of a mixed product. And if you are going to transport that, you want to release the pressure, okay, in, in your sprayer. It's not good for your sprayer. And then it's also not good to um, have a pressurized uh, sprayer in your vehicle in case of an accident. And then again, uh, be prepared for emergencies. So, you know, we want to know what all our emergency numbers are. So have those handy. Uh, be prepared for a spill. So not only in addition to a spill kit in your storage, but if you're storing pesticides on your vehicle, you should be able to handle a spill of whatever size you're carrying in your, in your vehicle. If you don't and you can't handle that spill, well, then, you know, Hazmat will come out and take care of it and hand you over a nice bill. 
Last but not least, when it comes to mixing and you, you know filling our, our sprayers, uh, we want to make sure that uh, we follow the label, okay? And so um, a couple things about mixing, uh, but you want to check the label, first of all, to see if there's you know any extra stuff that you have to wear because you're dealing with the concentrate. So we already kind of talked about that. Uh, check the label instructions. Um, you know, sort of read over it. If you can, mix it over a grassy area, okay? Again, because we're worried about uh, pesticides running into the drains, right? All the drains lead to, you know, the ocean or water or river or whatever. In general, uh, when we do our mixing, there is a best way to do it. You fill the sprayer uh, two-thirds of water, then you add whatever you're going to put in for the concentrate, and then you add the remaining one-third of water, uh, before mixing two different kinds of pesticides, you want to check the label and make sure it's okay. Uh, we always assume that everything is compatible, but maybe not. Okay, so we want to check that. And then you never place the fill holes inside the pesticide tank, all right? So we have to be our own air gap. So if you're filling a Birchmeyer backpack, you know, hold it above. We don't want it to backflow into water. Or if you guys are using rigs, usually there's a backflow, uh, an air gap filler, which, you know, kind of keeps the water above so that it's not going to backflow into the water system. And then again, always maintain and know how to use a spill cleanup kit in case of an emergency. And that's all we're going to talk about today. So that's all of your personal protective equipment. Um, if you're used to wearing this and maintaining it, then this is going to be easy. If it's stuff you're not normally used to wearing, check out the EPA website. Um, if you're following along in the IPM for the Urban Professional, we're in Chapter 7 and we just covered the personal protective equipment. Uh, next time, we're going to talk a little bit about finishing off with the disposing of pesticides. We're going to talk a little bit about spill control in detail and pesticide poisoning. And then we're going to talk about all of these different um, agencies that can regulate uh, the use of pesticides.